Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. In this episode, I have a conversation with the one and only Cindy Sheehan. Um, she has been a friend of mine and somebody that I've admired for a long time. During our conversation, Cindy does a, a really concise and, and effective job in explaining her background and what led her into the position she's in today. So I won't repeat all those details. I'll just say that in the time that I have observed her and then been fortunate enough to become her friend, Cindy is somebody that I particularly admire because she has strong beliefs and values and sticks by them but at the same time is always open to new context, new nuance, and new ideas. And therefore she's constantly growing and evolving from this foundation of, of core values and beliefs. And to me, there is really hardly any greater characteristic a person can have. So without any further ado, I'll be back with Cindy Sheehan right after this short break. And we're back with none other than Cindy Sheehan. Cindy, welcome to Post Woke. Oh, thank you, Mickey, for inviting me. Or are uh, you Mick? Are you Mickey or Mick? <laughs> I'm Mick on Facebook for, because <laughs> they, they didn't let me use Mickey Z, you know, Facebook. They, they uh -huh. tend to have a couple of rules there. It's very, very uh, interesting. Um, so before we dig into a conversation, um, if there are listeners out there who know your name, mm -hmm. but aren't really sure why, like, how did you burst onto the consciousness of the activist world, of the general public? Could you just share mm -hmm. a little bit about yourself for the audience? Sure. So um, in 2004, on April 4th, so it's coming up on um, 18 years, actually, really hard to believe. Wow. My son was killed in the illegal and immoral U.S.'s invasion and occupation of Iraq. He was uh, in the army. And so nobody in my family, including my son Casey, agreed with uh, the invasion of Afghanistan, the invasion of Iraq. And he was already in the army, had been in since 2001, actually, right? He was, he completed basic training like right before 9-11. Okay. So anyway, um, after he was killed, I just started speaking out and started getting a little bit more like going on the, the what I used to call the corporate media now, I guess it's the legacy media, doing a lot of interviews and appearances and protests and things like that. It was 2004 was also, if anybody remembers an election year yeah how can we forget and so um a lot of people use my you know my anger at george bush as like fodder to try to uh influence the election but anyway so in 2005 uh after george bush was president again we uh it was August, and he said that we didn't have to worry the families of the people who've been killed in Iraq because our loved ones died for a noble cause. And so I was watching this news conference he was giving, and I was waiting for like one of the toady media to ask him what was a noble cause <laughs> that my son died for. And he didn't, nobody asked him that question. So I was like, oh, you know what? I have a voice. And I just happened, this was like the coincidence of coincidences. I just happened to be going to Texas the next day and George Bush was on vacation um, in Crawford, Texas. And I was going to Dallas, Texas to be one of the main speakers at the Veterans for Peace Convention. And anyway, to make a really long story short, I just decided to go to Crawford which turns out to be about two and a half hours from Dallas and just go and try to ask him myself, what's the noble cause? And he said, you know, he never met with me and we decided to sit in the road um, until he would meet with me. And that just grew into something called Camp Casey, which, you know, probably about 20,000 people 
came in August all over from all over the world to be with us there, but also there were, you know, thousands and thousands of solidarity protests um, around the around the world. Yeah, so so that's basically how I got, you know, thrust very unwillingly into the consciousness. Yeah, I, I mean, unwillingly to say the least. I mean, it's difficult to segue out of a story based on tragedy, but I've been honored to watch you over the ensuing years become a spokesperson and knowledgeable on a wide variety of topics. I mean, people know you as the peace mom or as the anti-war activist, and that's a that's a proud thing to be known for. Mm-hmm. But you you know about so many topics, which is really what I wanted to dig into today, where um, I haven't spoken to you in the pa- in the past two years, and something uh, something called a pandemic has been going on. So I'm curious right. to hear your thoughts, your perspectives on 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 the the official responses to it, on how what we call the left wing responded to it, and mm-hmm. begin anywhere because I'm really I'm really curious to hear you know your your feedback and thoughts on on the past two years of sheer insanity. Oh my God! <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, uh, even before the pandemic started, about five years ago, um, my sister died of cancer, and she died, literally died in my arms, and she was in hospice, and, you know, the last 10 days of her life were, you know, just from my perspective as her caregiver, very traumatic, and I can't even imagine what she was going through, because she was you know, just in pain. Pain was her, uh, you know, her entire life at that point. She wasn't very coherent or anything. But um, but before, even before that, I had tried to leave, leave a healthy lifestyle. So after my sister died um, very terribly from the effects of the treatment of her cancer, I... Um, went into holistic health and I was studying to be a holistic health coach. So, you know, I already believe before the pandemic started that um, my immune system and strengthening it was the most important defense against all kinds of disease, whether it's pathogenic or or cancer or whatever. I concur. It's like (laughs) whatever I was going to do, I was not going to make my body a welcome mat for disease. And so I was already doing that. And when the pandemic started, I was just so confused that people's like, I know that there might be a a time in this world where there's an actual deadly pandemic where which kills, it wouldn't kill, you know, millions or, or hundreds of thousands, it would kill billions. Yeah. And so I know that that's a chance. And I don't even think at, if something like that happened, it mattered what how you took care of your body. You yeah. know, it's you're like going to get it. War. Yeah, it's like a, <laughs> I know. Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, so I was just confused that all, all of a sudden, all the people that I knew that, um, you know, and, and this was even like during two weeks to flatten the curve, I was already like, <laughs> what (laughs) gonna close everything and close schools this is just just freaking ridiculous and um just the people that i have worked with for so long who were like buying let's just call it the official narrative of covid or coronavirus or whatever you know and all of a sudden all of my anti-imperialists, not all of them, but I will, I do want to say most of them were saying, you know, wear your mask, stay safe, stay home, you know. And then when the, when the you know, quote unquote vaccine happened, they were, they got even worse. You know, it's like, Mickey, I've been told two times so far, first of all, there wasn't much opportunity for activism or organizing over those two years, right? Yeah. But at, since it's coming, since that part of it seems to be coming um, to a close, I've been invited a couple times to go to meetings or protests or whatever. And when I tell the people I'm not vaccinated, they they um, 
said this identically to different people. Oh, that's a problem. Wow. Yeah. So the movement that I built and sacrificed uh, the last 18 years to, I'm not even welcome in anymore. These are anti-war okay. anti uh, events? Um, not directly anti-war, okay. but like you said, one of them was on the border and one of them was a meeting in, in Boston. Um, you know, they're just, you know, adjunct to, okay. like you okay. said, my anti-war work. I do a lot of other, <laughs> I did a lot of other things. And so I just can't believe that these people who, you know, are have such a clear analysis of U.S. foreign policy, when it came to this, just all of a sudden capitulated to propaganda. And not only capitulated propaganda became spokespeople. Yes, unpaid PR teams. Right. It, it, yeah, it's mind-boggling. I know, as if Pfizer needs more help yeah. in, in raising, I mean, in, in not raising, in raping uh, tens of billions of dollars from our economy. Yeah, it, it, that's been, I mean, on so many levels, it's, uh, it's been an astounding two years. But to witness the people that, for example, I sat in Zuccotti Park with during Occupy Wall Street become, mm -hmm. as I said, like you said, like the, they're spokespeople for uh, the people I marched with in marches here in New York City called March Against Monsanto are now shilling for Moderna. Right. And when I try to point it out to them, and I'm sure you can relate to this, it's instant, instant unfriending, deleting, like you, you're like you have no history with them at all. It's it, right. I've lost countless friends and had and and work wise and so on because you and I are both in very liberal states so they really cracked down in in California mm -hmm. and New York and right. it was it, it was pretty stark and I look around in my neighborhood here in Queens New York a lot of small businesses just they're not coming back and yes. and when you try to talk to so-called left-wingers who this used to be their calling card right the working people and small businesses mm -hmm. and so it's 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 like you said. Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, they, oh, you're not right. oh you you're not vaccinated, or you you don't wear a mask, or whatever it might be. It's it's been. I I'm still in a perpetual state of disappointment when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, not only not only in a very micro way did it harm, you know, me and my family, and my grandchildren especially. You know, they all have suffered the effects of um, the lockdowns and the fascism and the fear, the fear mongering, constant fear mongering, yes. you know, not from us, thank goodness, you know, at least they had a mediating effect thank goodness. in the household, but you know, everywhere else. And um, my, one of my grandchildren actually is uh, on the spectrum, you know, so he already has a hard time dealing with life but um, he tested positive, no symptoms, but his dad, my son, uh, had to get tested because of work. And then, so since my grandson lives with him, he had to get tested, so, or he couldn't go back to school. He, he actually made a YouTube crying that he was gonna die because he tested positive for oh, COVID. Oh my goodness. I know, just so traumatic. And it's... I just really blame these people. I still, like, I was out, uh, today walking and almost every car that drove by me the people are wearing masks inside the cars I you know I'm not yeah. a violent person but I want to carry a bag of rocks and just start <laughs> smashing their windows you yeah. know I, f I feel your pain because New York City is again it's equally as COVID crazed where they very recently uh, statewide um, ended an indoor mask mandate, right. but yet people, I walk around my neighbor because well. yeah. they're, they're wearing one or maybe two masks just walking around outside. Never mind when you go in a supermarket, then it's the majority of people wearing masks. So they're mandating themselves. Right. And then they ended partially the vaccine mandate here, which was a, which was a real challenge for me because I've worked in gyms and so on. Like I can't go anywhere. And even though they ended aspects of the vaccine mandate, people were complaining here. And mm -hmm. I've seen people saying that they would only patronize places that continue to segregate by, by vaccine status and so on. And right. it's, um, 
it, it's it's like watching a cult form before your very eyes <clears throat> and get stronger. As you mentioned, by the time the vaccine was released, it just hit peak cult status. And right. um, it, it doesn't, even though that many of them now have shifted their attention to Ukraine, it doesn't seem like um, even the amount of information that's being released is necessarily making a dent on their psyche because so much more mm. is coming out. Well, you know, it is the cult of scientism, which always cracked me up because like I was following scientists and immunologists and epidemiologists and doctors, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't just like uh, pulling the information. Uh, they say, they said we were like uh, YouTube experts or whatever. Well, yeah, but what, what we're watching YouTubes of, you know, uh, my, my grandson crying cause he was think, thought he was gonna, no, uh, we're watching YouTubes of people who are experts in this exactly. field, you know? And so it's not like, <laughs> we just weren't following their science. And if you follow their science back and follow the funding, you'll find out that, you know, 99% of the time, these people are being funded by Fauci, Gates, yep. Pfizer, whatever. And so it's not a surprise that they're coming up with conclusions that are compatible with what they're thinking. And this whole thing about the Ukraine issue, the, when I'm not saying the Ukraine, I'm saying the Ukraine issue, <laughs> yeah. is that um, now we're here in, in um, a situation in the United States where we're under hyperinflation. And people are blaming Putin for this. I'm like, you're not blaming two years of businesses being shut down, um, people going bankrupt, printing trillions, the U.S. printing trillions of dollars. Exactly, exactly. And inflation didn't just start last month. It started months ago. And so, um, and, and so this is a result of the past two years. I agree. People have been, you know, uh, traumatized by uh, flu virus and been traumatized by the media attention and government attention to this flu virus, all the lies and everything. Now uh, the same media, by the way, that lied about Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Saudi, you know, Saudi Arabia, whatever, I can list a whole bunch of countries yep. that the U.S. is either working with or bombing, you know, so, <laughs> and then they, then, then they believe two years of lies of coronavirus, so how can they have any credibility now questioning the government about Ukraine? No, you're right, it's, it's, it was, they were primed to just switch gears, like, one minute it was you wear a mask. Next minute it's it's you have a Ukrainian flag on your Facebook profile. Mm -hmm. It's they're they're primed in advance to move move from one form of virtue signaling to another. I do see people um, in my own personal life who even as recently as now were still buying heavily into the COVID narrative. Who almost inexplicably, I, I, I can't point to a, a specific event, but are suddenly asking questions. And the shift to, to Russia and Ukraine has led people to say, wait, what happened to COVID? Uh -huh. And so in a way, they sort of shot themselves in the foot there in the sense that it was so blatant what they did where they just redirected your energy in another, another direction. And some people are like, wait, but wasn't it just a week ago I needed to wear two masks, stay home, and and so on, and now I just need to call Putin the next Hitler, and then I'm a good person. And I, I'm hoping that this, this subtle trend that I'm recognizing that more and more people are asking questions, I'm hoping to see something grow out of that. But it's 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 been fertile ground for, for um for like hive mind and groupthink type of mentality. It's been crazy. You know, I've been um ostracized for the past two years by so many people. But um, yeah, I forgot, I forgot, <laughs> I but, forgot but, where but, I was but, gonna go with But this. to jump on that, I wanna, yeah. like, 
you, you sometimes hesitate to point that out because you don't want to make it about you. And I know I feel that uh -huh. way sometimes, but it, we're, we're human beings and, it, and aspects of this are about us. And I have lost friends. I have lost, uh, I guess what I would call comrades, like activists, acquaintances. I've lost uh -huh. um, financial opportunities. Yep. I lived, I lived in New York city where you would, the streets were desolate. I went to Times Square last year at some point and took a picture and there was no one in sight in New York City. And so the, the psychological impact of living in a ghost town, and it's, I don't think there's any reason to not point out that we, we, each, we each paid a personal price for this. And then I've also documented that what this did to the third world, and I won't go into all the statistics, mm -hmm. but one thing jumped out at me as long as, as much as a year ago, even the New York Times was reporting that studies done about the lockdowns were increasing the number of children under the age of five dying per month from st starving or from disease. Mm -hmm. It was increased by 10,000 a month because wow. of the lockdowns. Never mind girls who couldn't get to programs that protected them from genital mutilation mm -hmm. and protected them from being forced marriages. We can't, we can't even calculate what's happened to the people that we're trained to not pay attention to. And then of course, like you said, you tell the personal anecdote of your grandson, it's heartbreaking. Like I, I'm going to be thinking about that all day. It's like, like, how is that okay to do that? But they have trained us to going you know going back to the red scare and the nuclear scares and terrorism oh, yep. and so on and this is just the latest one mm -hmm. but this shift from covid to ukraine w was it, in a vacuum it's almost laughable i mean there's nothing funny about it but i it was one of the most rapid shifts i've ever seen oh it was on the it was on a dime one thing i was going to point out like you said that our friends who <clears throat> were anti-imperialist and um, you know, pro-worker and anti-fascism and all these things, you know, the only time that there were large protests were the Black Lives Matter, but the people, the liberals, and I think a lot of my friends, at least, have transitioned from radical to liberal during this time, you know, they're going yes. to the right, and so a lot of them, like, they say, like you said, we're not going to patronize any place unless they uh, require vaccines. But there's a, a lot of um, workers, there's Latino workers and African-American workers who rightly have a deep suspicion of, of the um, medical experimentation, <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't want to be medically experimented. So they're losing their jobs because of this demand you know, and they're the ones who have the least availability to healthcare, but they want them to uh, go against their years of culture and their years of being oppressed and abused by the system to make them feel better. That's the thing is Cindy, why don't you just, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing people, just shut up, you're scaring us. Oh, you know, you're presenting the truth is frightening us, so we just want you to be quiet about it. And we want you to be quiet so we can feel safe in our little uh, bunkers that we've taped the windows or whatever, you know? And yes, that's, yes. This, is, this is the whole attitude is the babies and children and teenagers who are dying from this experimental I call it the magic needle juice. You know, it's like, yeah. are you okay with this? And um, I want to say anybody between the ages of zero to 49 have very low uh, risk anyway, unless they start putting the magic needle juice in them. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, re I interviewed a woman named um, Jessica Rose, Dr. Jessica Rose, and her latest expertise is she's been breaking down and analyzing the vaccine adverse events reporting system, VAERS, and mm -hmm. it was it was utterly frightening. If, if, if you want to follow someone on Substack that, that breaks it, because she's, she's like an immunologist and a statistician, so she's ideally positioned to handle this information, mm -hmm. and the numbers are astonishing. And then, of course, once you get into the fact that the PCR test doesn't work, and the masks don't work and distancing has no science behind it. And 
if you get a chance, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wrote a book about Fauci. Oh, yeah, is, no, I read it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it, yeah, it I, devoured, like, I didn't read it. I devoured it. So. I, I concur. It was. I felt yeah. like I was reading a, an, an indictment. Like mm -hmm. this man, I mean, this man should have been, I remember him like reading about him related to AIDS, but I didn't right. know that much about it. But now when you, when you, when you read that book, you say this man should have been rotting in prison for 40 years now. And, and uh, he's now America's doctor. But real quick to bring it back. It's funny mm -hmm. that you said how people on the left that you know, you could see them palpably moving to the right in terms mm -hmm. of, of abandoning stances that once were important to them. But isn't right. it ironic that someone like you and I, when we when we speak out against um, uh, medi med losing medical auto autonomy and so on, we get accused of being Trump voters and moving to the right. It's like, right. it's I haven't been called um, a, a fascist or a right-wing person this much, maybe ever in my entire life as I have in the past two years, while I'm watching people, as you laid out, ignoring something like workers' rights, which is supposed to be a major plank in their platform. It's, 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 I keep saying it's mind-boggling because I can't even think of other adjectives to describe it. Well, the thing that I, I've i been very disappointed in over this past two years is that since my son was killed, um, first I lost a lot of personal friends when I started speaking out against Bush, and then I lost a lot of uh, so-called friends when I left the Democrat Party, more when I didn't support Obama, you know, and so yeah. every like four years, I lose a bunch of friends, and one, and then when Trump won, I lost a bunch of friends because they didn't think I hated Trump enough, but I was like, he's a U.S. president, just like my baseline is I hate them all. Yeah, you yep. know, so that's my baseline for for a U.S. president. But it's like I am Cindy Sheehan. I haven't changed. Exactly. I've grown. You know, I think that you know when I before Casey was killed, I was liberal. Now I don't even. There's not even a category for me. But it's like if I oppose uh, these measures. If I think these measures are against my health and public health, I'm not doing it uh, in a in a very political based way like they are, right? And so, can you, if you're still with me, if you were still with me by 2020, I would think th these people would have some trust and yes. not just all of a sudden just abandon me because I had a different perspective on public health than Fauci has on public health. And yeah, he is a doctor. He's treated as many patients as I've treated, zero. Yeah. yeah. And right. Bill Gates, I'm one, at one point I had a, a Facebook um, banner that said, I, I don't mean to brag, but I have exactly the same medical, medical degree as Bill Gates has. Bingo. But then listen to Bill yeah. Gates who is like one of the most untrustworthy person on the planet uh yes. you know one of the richest pe person why are they listening to him and not me somebody who has i think earned the trust Absolutely. of people you've you've earned the equity for for at least the past 18 years and one of the reasons why i've always liked and admired you is that exactly as you phrased it you you have these core values that you've stuck to while at the same time growing and learning and becoming more nuanced and being able to articulate so many more topics than than anti-war, but at the same time, you can trace to core values and the amount of work you put into learning about these topics should be enough that if someone who knows you well would say, oh, we should get the vaccine, and then, oh, Cindy said no, I'm going to ask her about that because right. that's Cindy, and she's she And not of, just like yeah. call me anti that's a Trumper QAnon and yeah. just like uh, um, dump me instead of like wondering why, why is Cindy thinking this? Hmm, there might be something to it. And that's happened a lot of times with me, with people I respected that we've had a difference of opinion about. I've looked at what they're saying and why they're saying it, you know? And, um, but anyway, another thing about this is that uh, now we have the Ukraine and we have to have a Ukraine flag. I found the most perfect product online for virtue sig signalers. It's a mask in, of the Ukraine flag. So no. <laughs> I'm thinking you can go out and double virtue signal about that. <laughs> but, but I was on press TV earlier and with a man that lives in Sana'a, Yemen. 
and he was talking about the deprivations in Yemen right now. And I, we couldn't raise money to send to Yemen because it was illegal. We wanted to send yes. money to Yemen to, um, you know, fund some social programs or food banks or whatever there. And we couldn't do it. We were banned from doing it. But now we can raise money and send it to Ukraine, you know, and we have to care about those people when Yemen has the biggest um, humanitarian crisis on the planet. Absolutely. Nobody has a Yem Yemeni flag. Nobody can, you know, these liberals don't care about them. Plus, another thing is they don't know or care that the person who's directly responsible for what's happening in Ukraine right now is sitting in the Oval Office drooling on the button that exactly. might cause nuclear Thank annihilation. You. Thank you. Yes, it's when I try to just explain that he was the point man eight years ago in the in the coup that put Zelensky in there, I get pushback and just complete disbelief and denial. And real quick on Yemen, I have a friend, he, he would prefer I don't say his name. He's a photojournalist. He's, he's been able to go a couple of times and he was actually just there. And so I've been getting like firsthand stuff from him. And it's, it's, it's like this, like you said, it's this, the most serious humanitarian uh, crisis on the planet that just is for all intents and purposes invisible, partly because the Saudis are involved and so on. And to, to, to have them snap their fingers and decide these are the people you care about. Not that I want any, I've, you know, right. like you have to right. say a lot. I don't want people Obviously. getting blown up in yeah. Ukraine, but it's almost, it, sadly, it isn't obvious, right? Like there are people who would just think that you don't care about them, but it's it, again, like, have I not built up any equity over the years that I, I would care about someone, but it's like, let's spread that care around and have some consistency as to what's happening. But the, the people just want to believe their government. They want to believe the media. And for two years, they've been pretty much primed that whatever villain they would have picked last month, the, it, at least 50, 60% of the country would have just aimed their anger in that direction. And to think of the tragedies that are going on across the globe that get no attention at all, in many, many cases funded by our tax dollars, it's 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 embarrassing and, and horrifying to even ponder. Well, another thing is um, the Biden regime is starve, are starving the people of Afghanistan. You know, a country that the U.S., uh, invaded and occupied for over 20 years. Now they're, uh, they confiscated their wealth and babies are dying. Children are dying of starvation in Afghanistan. I don't see any um, crocodile tears for those people from Me the neither. liberals. Me neither. It's almost like there's just, as soon as they pulled the last Americans out of there, it was like out of sight, out of mind. And and could I mean I'm sure you could relate to the amount of families here in the U.S. who had who had family members over there waging that that so-called war and who were either killed or injured for what for what right, and, right. and this and this man sits in the White House and and regardless of whether or not he's personally in charge we know the machine that's in charge and as you as you said before it's one president after another when obama was in i used to i used whenever i did talks here in new york i would i would just refer to him as george w obama and get everybody would get, <laughs> would get so mad at me when i was like I, I said he's just the next term it's 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 not even it's not even controversial to look at when when you when you look at obama's record if you looked at it like like without his name above it, and then put Bush's record, maybe not Bush, but maybe the first Bush or something, you would never guess that was Obama based on his reputation. Like it's right. the, the things he put in, it's, it's incredible. And Biden was right there the whole time, as you said. Well, the thing is too about Biden is there are some people who are puppets. Well, they're all puppets of, um, you know, global capital, right? They all are. But some of them are more involved in the in the background than others. And I think like Dick Cheney was one of those. I think yeah. Biden has been in the US government for over 40 years. He's played a very devious, um, demonic, not saying that in a in a religious way, role this whole time he's been in in the um, swamp or whatever. So, um, but now I don't even think he knows where he is. You might be most right. Most of the time. And that's, uh, that's scary. Absolutely. Like I, I've had, 
my dad, before he passed away, was losing some cognitive abilities. And so I'm, I'm careful to never make jokes about that. But I can recognize that this man is in charge and his behavior, at least on on video, seems uh, seems scary. And it, But to go back to what you said, is he has nearly 50 years of experience where when someone's in, in power that long, like Fauci, for example, 40 years, or you look at mm -hmm. like a J. Edgar Hoover was 50 years. When you're in the machine that long, the the values that you've internalized are there permanently. So whether whether Biden at this exact moment is in charge, he's already he's already done yeah. his crimes. He's done a lifetime right. of crimes right. and he has enough criminals around him to just prop him up and do what they need to do. And it's it's I, I wish I could say something optimistic, like, well, at least the next person will be this. But as you said, they're, they're, as of now, they've all been coming from the same mm -hmm. machine. It's hard to imagine who's going to run in 2024 that's going to make a palpable difference. Unless well, it's you. like we have um, Pelosi, you know, Speaker of the House, and Harris, who, I'm sorry, she's not elderly, but she's uh, blithering. And so as I saw this YouTuber call, say watching Biden and Pelosi trying to govern is like watching a blooper reel at a nursing home. Yeah. And I am 64, so I'm not a spring chicken anymore. And I'm with you. I don't like to um, promote ageism, but these two people are special. You know, Pelosi and Biden are um, criminals of the yeah. highest order. And instead like of them rotting away in Washington, D.C. and degenerating to the point of incoherence, I believe they should be in prison I concur. You know, and doing the same thing. So it's, it's like I don't I wouldn't be ageist about. Uh, just a regular person who their whole life worked really hard just to survive and to support their families. And these two, and Pelosi is like so rich, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And these two that have caused so much heartache, you know, yes. I, think, I think they're fair game. I, oh, I completely concur. And, yeah. and, and I don't think it's ageism. I think, I think there is a paradigm in which certain types of jobs have um, Mac, um, a, a retirement age, like a required retirement age. And right. when we look at the people who stay on the Supreme Court, to stay in the Senate, the Congress, and sometimes in the White House, I don't. I, that doesn't sound like ageism to me. It sounds like pure logic that you want to you want to have people who are vibrant and young, and in general they would be healthier. And um, yeah, I, I definitely don't look at my critique of any of these lifelong criminals in there, you know, and I don't know how old Schumer and McConnell and the rest of them are, but they're all getting up there and right. have been there forever. And I, I lump them all together as 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 a, a, almost like a, a, a mafia, like it's well, just it's, it's a form of organized crime. And wasn't Ronald Ronald Reagan's mental decline fair game? Yes. You know, yeah, so right. then you, if you say anything about Biden, then the view is going to attack you and MSNBC is going to attack you. And, you know, all of these liberal outlets will attack you for pointing out the obvious. You're, you're right. I, I Last year, right after Biden got inaugurated, you heard a lot of bullshit talk up from from the liberals about how now that Trump's gone, we're going to see that what we're really made of and, and we're going to be inclusive. We're going to be good people. We're not going to be mean on Twitter like Trump. And within a matter of weeks, Rush Limbaugh died. Now, of course, mm -hmm. I'm not defending him, but I don't have to tell you that the vitriol that came out when he died and people publicly saying they wanted to go piss on his grave and all. So I wrote an article where I said, what happened to the good vibes? What happened right. to like, <laughs> show, show us what America's about? And people were like, no, 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 he was a monster. So then I wrote an article comparing what Rush Limbaugh did in his life and what Obama did in his life and said, you pick your monster because, and I'm, and of course people then tried to do a straw man and say I was defending Limbaugh. And I was like, okay, you're, you're willfully missing the point now. So you're right. Like Reagan, Reagan was openly mocked in the late, in the, in the second half of his second term. Mm -hmm. And if that's fair game, then, then it should be fair game to say that Biden should not be in that position. But you and I know, even if they bumped him out, whoever they put in is going to yeah. follow orders anyway. So I, it's it, but I do, I do, 
it's almost like a mental exercise to point out this level of hypocrisy, the positions that the liberals have to twist themselves in. I, I tell them, I hope you're taking yoga or Pilates or something because you're going to pull something, the, the pretzel you're twisting yourself into to justify your stance. And virtue signaling should be an Olympic event by now. <laughs> you like all of the, but you know, another thing that is very hypocritical in the view, even called themselves out. I don't watch the view, but like everybody shares clips about their idiocy. Yes. Um, they call themselves out because they were really upset that people were criticizing Kamala Harris, especially for her trip to Europe where she was just incoherent. And they were like, well, you know, it's just people are just making fun of her because she's a woman and women should never make fun of women. And then like one of them said, well, we did make fun of Sarah Palin, but she deserved it. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> she deserved it. She, does, she doesn't have the she didn't have the same credentials that Harris did. So what is worse? You know, somebody who's just trying to just like got pulled onto this uh, ticket and she's flapping her jaws and saying dumb things or somebody who has been raised in the Democrat party, raised in the um, establishment, slept her way to the top, you know, uh, yeah. Kamala Harris in California. She's well known. She's well known for that. So, um, so what's worse, somebody who has been groomed like Harris that goes to Europe and makes the United States look ridiculous, even more ridiculous than we are, or someone like Palin, who was like thrust there. Yeah, and and to use the the language of say a male abuser, where no, oh, she deserved it. Right. She deserved exactly. this abuse. It's it's offensive, and to mm -hmm. hear women then using mm -hmm. it, it's like how deep into the hive mind can you be that you don't even realize mm -hmm. how you're speaking? So I totally hear you. Cindy, I could talk to you all, all day here. There's so many different topics and we did, you know, we'll, we'll have to do this again because I do want to get your thoughts on the whole transgender sports um, conflict and controversy that's going on. Like but, I told um, you, slaying liberal uh, sacred cows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we should do this like periodically because there's so uh -huh. many of those sacred cows, but it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. For listeners, um, you, you, if you tell me some websites, I will put them in the show notes. But is there anything you want to tell the listeners of how they can support what you're doing, mm -hmm. where they can find you, and so on? Well, just mostly um, my podcast, Cindy Sheehan Soapbox, and my um, website there, Cindy Sheehan Soapbox.blogspot.com. Okay, so I'll include that in the show notes. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, Mickey, thank you. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye. I'll be right back with my story of the week. Hey, Mickey Z here with a few messages before we get back to the show. I'm asking you to become a paid subscriber to Post Woke. To do so, it's very simple. Just go to mickeyz.substack.com. The link is in the show notes. And there, for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day, you can support what I'm doing and get a steady flow of podcasts, articles, and other content, including perks that are available only to paid subscribers. So I thank you in advance for making that commitment. It really makes a difference. In addition, if you'll scroll through, scroll through the show notes, you'll see that I have a link in there for the project I do to help homeless women in New York City. Your support is most welcome. There's a link in there for a very cool post-woke podcast t-shirt to let people know what your favorite podcast is. And there's also a link in there for my NFT digital art photography. If you're interested in non-fungible tokens as a collectible, please click that link, check it out, and maybe, maybe buy yourself a collectible work of art. So on that note, thank you again. And most importantly, please consider becoming a subscriber at mickeyz.substack.com. And now let's get back to the show. We begin this long and winding ode on August 7th, 2012, a classic hot and humid Big Apple summer day. I was taking part in a demonstration called Occupy Saks, as in Saks Fifth Avenue, the uh, legendary department store here in Manhattan. And at this event, I came within an eyelash of being arrested by seven cops. And I will get to that story. But first, I need to explain that the protest was ostensibly against a man named Carlos Slim, 
who, despite such a cinematic moniker, is not a James Bond villain. Slim is one of the world's wealthiest humans with a fortune amassed by exploiting the poorest of the poor in Mexico through his telephone monopoly. For a short while, he was the only richest man in the world ever from a developing nation. Slim was born in Mexico, but is of Lebanese descent. He loves baseball, possesses at least 12 mansions across the globe, and owns part of the New York Times. At the time at the time of the protest, Slim was also the largest shareholder in Saks Fifth Avenue. So there we were, Occupy Wall Street, working alongside groups like Two Countries, One Voice to spread, quote unquote, awareness about Slim's crimes. We had music and chanting and costumes and puppets and all of that. We followed the well-worn script. This included handing out flyers to educate the masses. Needless to say, most passers-by treated us as if we were just another New York City sidewalk nuisance, a very accurate assessment. As the rally progressed, there were rumors of a protest flash mob soon to happen inside the store, which was ringed not only by Saks Fifth Avenue security, but also by a large contingent of increasing, increasingly aggressive police. For the uninitiated, a flash mob is a large public gathering at which people perform an unusual or seemingly random act and then disperse, typically organized by means of the internet or social media. Anyway, the cops and security in front of Saks were under strict rules to not let any demonstrators, that was the word they were using, so they couldn't let any demonstrators inside the store. The legality of such a decree is questionable, but hey, I've per personally witnessed far more dubious laws made up on the spot during my activism days. Anyway, I wanted to get some photos or video of whatever might happen inside, so I wandered around the corner to find a different entrance. About halfway down 49th Street, I found an opened door and walked inside. Just then I noticed two cops were a few steps behind me. This entrance landed me in the hyper-expensive jewelry department. The saleswomen there looked at me in my cargo shorts, sleeveless t-shirt, and backwards Yankee cap, and began surreptitiously signaling to me that I was being followed. I regretted surrendering to my urge to get photos, but I knew I could not do anything sudden at this point. So I decided to walk casually, but directly to the other side of Saks and exit ASAP. The crowd of store detectives and cops following, with, following me grew with each step I took. I'd committed no crime, but I knew this fact would not deter the NYPD. So I stayed calm, enjoyed some air conditioning on a hot day, and began making my way through the eerie silence. As luck would have it, my 99% button became unfastened from the small bag I had slung over my shoulder. The pin dropped to the floor with a clang echoing through the quiet section of the cavernous first floor. I reached down slowly, picked it up, and allowed myself a good look around as I did. I was fully surrounded. A uniformed cop, the shortest of the group by far, screamed at me, give me one fucking reason why I shouldn't take you in right now. Some of the sales staff audibly gasped. Um, I coolly replied, because I haven't given you any justification to do so. Besides, I was just heading out anyway. I walked slowly, very slowly toward the exit. The store detectors went back to looking for demonstrators while the seven cops stayed with me. The short cop got closer to me and barked, are you a demonstrator? No, I lied. I just came inside to get some AC before I walked to the subway. Why are you carrying a camera? It's New York City. Lots of people walk around, walk around taking photos. I made it to the door without being stopped, so I stepped back outside into the August humidity. All seven cops followed me. The one cop who had so far done all the talking positioned himself in front of me to block my way. Are you a demonstrator? He tried again. I shook my head no, so he pointed to my bag. What's in the bag? Never fluctuating from a non-threatening monotone, I replied, you know as well as I do that I don't have to tell you or show you. 
The cop did not like that legally accurate reply. His hands balled into a fist as he began shifting his weight from one foot to the other. I braced myself to be punched, but instead he drilled me with a verbal barrage. What's your button say? Are you a demonstrator? You know demonstrators are not allowed in here. Don't bullshit me. I know why you're here and what you're up to. Are you a demonstrator? I did some quick thinking. In my youth, I had dealt with many a cop and always managed to talk my way out of trouble, once even when I was already in the back seat of a squad car. I glanced around at the other six cops and then back at Napoleon. They were all younger than me and relatively fit, but in my sleeveless shirt, I was clearly in better shape than any of them. It struck me that I looked a lot more like the angry bros surrounding me than the other they are conditioned to fear, loathe, and oppress. So I decided to slip into the character I sometimes play while working in gyms. You know what? I said with an exaggerated New York City accent. You'd be bored if you looked in my bag anyway. I got a towel because it's so friggin' hot out here, some water to stay hydrated, and a couple of power bars to keep my energy up, which, by the way, was all true. Napoleon unfurled his fists and began to, to nod. You mean like nutrition and all? Yeah, I said. You know how hot the subway pl platforms are. It can drain you. All seven cops were nodding now, trying to look like gym rats in the face of my spiel. So yeah, I continued. I'm not looking for any problems, and I've got nothing to hide in my bag. You want to look? Nah, Napoleon replied. But just get moving. The other cops lost interest in me as I walked away without looking back. Would I have evaded zip ties if I were dark-skinned or a woman or both? Yeah, right. But for me, this silly game, this activist game, went on for a couple more years before I finally fully identified and rejected the cognitive dissonance. In those ensuing years, I actually ended up inside Saks Fifth Avenue once again when Black Lives Matter first became a thing. Of course, the remnants of Occupy lined up under the BLM banner as we did our best to virtue signal our way into your hearts and minds. It was December 2014, and the plan was to stage a die-in inside Saks during the holiday shopping crush. Dozens of activists of all ethnicities entered the store and pretended to be shoppers. When we got the signal, we were supposed to plop down onto the floor and pretend to be dead. This was somehow supposed to represent the unarmed people of color who have been killed by law enforcement. Side note, there were more activists laying there playing dead than there are actually unarmed non-white victims of police each year. But I digress. I opted to not lay down because I wanted to get photos to document the action. And well, I already had my fill of almost being arrested at this particular venue. Also, on some level, I was already recognizing the ineffectually performative nature of this entire exercise. It would take a little while longer before I'd start saying this out loud. And well, basically, I lost about 90, at least 90% of my quote unquote comrades. The curtain had been pulled back, and suddenly the farce was exposed for what it is. In other words, I began to keep my guard up.